When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're talking real money. Hello again, and welcome to the Talking Real Money podcast, audio-only version. I'm Don McDonald in my booth. Tom's over there in his big, spacious room. I get a three-by-four-foot booth. He gets a huge office in Seattle. and Two that's offices. The way. Two offices. Two offices. Yeah. That's true. You've got an office next to an office. That's true. Does anybody ever go... What makes him so special? No, because no one's ever here to see that. So it doesn't really matter. Oh, good point. Since the pandemic, nobody comes to the office anymore. How would they notice? It used to be. It's so funny because it used to be Tom was a stickler (laughs) for being in the office every day, every minute of every day. (laughs) And now? And now it's like. He's like, who's the old guy sitting over there? He even says, come to the office. And they go, I asked, I asked, I asked the staff the other day what they thought my guiding word for, for 2024 was. And one piped up very quickly. I got to add retirement. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of hurts, but okay. So yeah, you can see where their mind is. They want to shuffle the old guy along. Ruin. No. Wow. I'm sorry. A lot of love there. Hi, welcome to Talking Real Money. I'm Don. Uh, Tom is about to retire right over there, according so. to the staff. And we're here to try to, we have a, uh, let me try this. We have a Herculean task, Tom and I, because we're trying to put you on a path, a simple, sane, sensible path to investing and building wealth. And we are constantly battling the forces of stupidity, of short-sightedness that come from both Wall Street and journals that come from Wall Street. Which like is the Wall journal. Street Journal. That we, I don't, do we generally trust it? I think you have to generally say you don't trust it now. I way. don't trust a lot of their advice. No. I, 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 I think that sometimes they share interesting information, yeah, but when it comes to providing advice, as they did in a very recent column, uh, that that's entitled, how often should you mess with your 401k? And then the, the gives the answer in the headline more than before, which is and Tom, I don't get that bad. I mean, I think the Nobel prize winner, Gene Fama once said, your investments are like soap. The more you handle them, the less you got. I always thought that makes sense in a lot oh, of ways. Oh, is that why my bar of soap lasts for so long? <laughs> well, you might try a different. Okay, but read the, the opening paragraph. It says it, everything you need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, compulsively checking your 401k is seen by behavioral economists as the source of bad investment decisions. We agree with that. Yeah, we do. Then, we agree with everything right up to that yeah. or uh, up to that point, not after. And then the author says, right now, though, looking at your portfolio too seldom could equally lead to missed opportunities. And the argument, though, Tom, is that 
what you're supposed to do is look back and move your money into those things that have already done the best. Is that is that what I'm getting? I, I think it is. He then goes through a, a bunch of examples, very recent examples. I think the furthest one back is like 2016 or something. That's not very long. Certainly not a decade. No, I, it's a pretty short period of time. And says, had you done that, had you looked at the thing that has been hot and moved some of your money from the thing that hasn't been as hot to that, you'd have made a boatload more money. Yeah, and I have a problem with that uh, because of the fact that these are really short-term numbers. And if you do if you do enough analysis and you pick your periods, you can find periods where almost any particular style of investing might have huh. might have worked for a while. They have a term for that. I think it's called data mining. Data mining, cherry picking. Yeah, you yeah. sort of say, here's what I'm looking to make work. Let's make the numbers work. Um, because- and we're not saying he did that, but I think that that he and the people, was it BlackRock? Well, uh, the data, I'm not sure where it came from. Actually. It came from BlackRock. Yeah, okay. it did. It yeah. came from BlackRock. But the writer um, is a legit, we looked it up, because sometimes it's a part of journalism today that is absolutely abhorrent. And you've pointed this out well. In some major publications, you get people writing there that are not really journalists. They got an opinion and there's a reason why they have that opinion because they think you should go and see them. So they're really not covering things as much as they're sort of promoting those. But he points out that um, had you put a 60, 40 portfolio launched in 1871, which I think would have been difficult. I don't know exactly what the 80 would have been in, I guess, Dow Jones Industrial Average. I'm not sure when that started, but yeah, let's see. Know. When did he start his thing? 1871. Uh, yeah, it would have just been. It, it would have been fewer than probably a hundred stocks. Yeah. Okay. So, you, had you started a 60 40 in 1871, after 25 years, your portfolio would be out of whack. Instead of 60 percent in stocks, you'd be an 80 percent in stocks. Okay. And by the way, that even accelerated faster. After the end of 2008, because remember, you had a big downturn and then the market turn went up quickly. The 60 would have gone to 80 within 10 years. So in other words, you would have been out of balance. If you're trying to stay balanced, it would not have been just let it ride would not have worked. But what he's suggesting is instead of that, you're going to, as you said, chase recent performance things. And you could look at this last year where the last month, I think small value went up like 12 to 13 percent in one month had a huge run up. So now you'd be taking more of your money out of the things that didn't do as well, which technology did not perform as well at the end of the year, certainly compared to where it did earlier, and move that into small cap value, sort of chasing a momentum style of investing. Now there are funds. That's that what I was it. just going to say, Tom. There yep. is evidence yep. that momentum sure. is a factor worth considering. That's, but he's saying basically throw every other concept out the window and you. strictly focus on momentum. And that's the problem because the rebalancing part is correct. Now, you know, um, many of you hopefully are looking at this today because uh, at the beginning of the year is a good time to rebalance your portfolio. Exactly as the author points out, if you ha- if your if your focus is to have a 60-40 portfolio, 60% in stocks, 40% in bonds, you would now be likely selling stocks because they went up 
15, 20, 25% last year and buying bonds, which did not go up as much to get back to the correct percentages. I think that as a strategy makes sense. I was going to say, and that is wrong. Why? It's not. It's not wrong. Well, not to me. That's absolutely correct. He's saying inside of that, you're going to take the asset classes and buy the ones that have gone up the most, right? And here's the problem with that. I don't think you can do it. You, the investor, <laughs> that's going to be hard. And, I think and that's I don't very think difficult. he presents a very compelling case for his argument no. either. Short-term returns, right? This is very recent behavior in the market. And in it, a note that I always hate is this suggestion that markets are more volatile now than they've ever been before, which is simply not the case. They were volatile. Many You go back a hundred years, there's been a lot of volatile markets. So to sort of say, well, now it's worse than it's ever been. So you got to do something. Well, actually um, that's market bull. There's an opposed to a bull market. Get it? Yeah, I got it. That's good. Uh, Thank you. Bring out the cheesecake. So um, should you consider this? Should you become, use momentum when it comes to investing? Now, Don pointed out, There are funds, and we use them when we privately manage money for people, a momentum fund. There's somebody there that's that's moving money around. They are. They are moving money, but it's a tiny part of your portfolio, right? It's Hmm. not. It's and it's not, not the whole thing. Basically, no. he's saying turn the whole thing yeah. into a very focused momentum portfolio. And let me tell you, there are a lot of managers who try that. And again, the evidence shows over the longest, the longer you go back in time, the worse active managers have tended to perform. Short periods of time, you have a lot more winners. And that's what I'm saying about this is this is short term. So it may have worked. Is it likely to continue to work? And he points out one way for investors, this is from the article, one way for investors to achieve the dual objectives of rebalancing and benefiting from today's volatile market could be to trust a bigger share of their money to active managers, especially those with low fees. Now, he doesn't give any examples there. Well, that's oxymoronic. Active management and low fees, the two don't go together. I know. I was waiting for the example. Active management fees are always higher than the indexes. Always. I mean, than a comparable index. Drag performance. I guarantee you I can find a high-cost S&P 500 index, but I can find one that is so cheap that no active manager could come anywhere near doing it, uh, uh, charging that and make a profit. And I think that's the point. So again, back to your 401k today. Yes, you should rebalance to get back to the correct percentages. No, you should not be trying a, what I would call market timing move uh, that we can't find any long-term benefit for. This is too complex. It's too much work. And I think it will be too big of a problem for most people to even bother trying. And I think it represents one of the biggest problems that we all in the uh, financial media face, and that is finding material to fill the space or the time that we have that is fresh and new and different because there's so little that's fresh and new and different and real. See, the real part. Came up in a conversation today from someone who is a listener. And he said, well, the thing, one of the reasons I'd hire you would be for you to tell me the stuff that's new. What's happening out there? 
there's I love Gene Fama's <laughs> remarks many years ago in a video we have used in some of our classes. And he said, I have been learning about and teaching investing for 50 years. And he said, Wall Street comes up with a new idea every year or every month. More than that, yeah. You know, they're coming up with these new ideas all the time. And he said, in my 50 years, I can think of possibly five big new ideas that have come out of the financial industry. Five in 50 years. That's one per decade. So if you're waiting for the new idea, you're going to have to be a client for at least 10 years. And then we'll tell you what the new idea is, which I don't know. I mean, the only new ideas I'm aware of are the factors of investing ETF. have evolved over to ETFs have evolved over time. So again, this would rebalance, but do not try to be a momentum investor. I think it's fraught. I, I agree. This article is just silly. Uh, and again, they're filling They're They're, they're trying to find something to fill the space, to get people to react, to feel like they have to do something. Oh, I must do something. I must now look at my 401k more often. No, you should look at your 401k once a year when it's time to reallocate, rebalance. And I'll allow you twice because I put it in my spreadsheet the first of the year and at the middle of the year. So twice I look. Yeah, see, I hate to mess up my summer with money stuff. (laughs) It's probably not a bad idea. Anyway, Uh, question time. Oh, yeah. Lots of these. Good question. This comes from your home state, by the way. Oh, um, Colorado or Florida? Colorado. I consider Colorado. That's where I was born. Colorado, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Native Colorado. Uh, Littleton, Colorado. Nicholas writes us, does it ever make sense to purchase years of a of service credit in a defined benefit plan? I'm eligible to buy up to 60 months of service for $184,000, 36800 a year. Buying 60 months of service credit would yield me $800 per month in additional benefits. What are the other factors to consider besides the number of months to recoup the upfront cost? In other words, taking money that you have saved, giving that to the entity, yeah. them building a bigger annuity payout for well, you It's over actually time. a little bit more complicated, but it's not terribly complicated. What you have to do is calculate what your lost opportunity on that would money be on would that be. money yeah, because right. bear in mind that money over the years is going to make you money. One hundred eighty-four grand, nothing to or sneeze at. Should either. make you money. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Should make you money. Uh, should make you money. So you got to figure out what it would have grown to. How many years are we talking about? Uh, let's see. He says sixty months of service, so five years. Um, and at eight hundred, hundred and eight, hundred eighty-four thousand dollars. Okay, but. When's he going to retire? See, there are so many important things. Those are some of the, the only way to do the calculation is to know when you're going to retire and start collecting that 800 a month, because you're not going to collect the 800 a month until you retire. And how liquid you are in other parts of your portfolio, because you need to have cash. If you give it all to them, uh, that worries me. Okay. Really for all intents and purposes, the, 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 let me just boil the question down to its, its smallest common denominator. And that is. It, does it make sense to take one hundred eighty-four thousand dollars and buy an annuity? Now the Which answer is, is in most cases, no. Yeah, well, it doesn't. From a financial, I was getting to this: the financial decision, yeah. right? That you'll you'll end up with more money if you don't. But Probably. for many people, that would be one of my questions to Nicholas: What kind of investor are you? Mm-hmm. Are you somebody that has much significant money in stocks, or does that make you? Uh, I don't want to watch it go up and down, Tom. 
then maybe this makes sense. Sometimes, and then, like then, you and just take then the money. if that's the case, then the comparison comes down to what can I re- expect with a private annuity versus my defined benefit plan at work? If Which, I took the yeah. $184,000 and I bought a, a fixed annuity, yeah. fixed mm-hmm. annuity that becomes an immediate at some point, right. triggers. Uh, what, what would my monthly income be from that? And you need to calculate what that might be. So there's a lot of calculating. And um, I think this is one of those psychological, for the most part, the financial decision is going to say, keep your money, invest Mm -hmm. it, grow it, take it out that way when you need it. By the way, this locks in your income. Remember, that's you're going to be getting all that more income versus, you know, being willing to uh, just hand it off to somebody else. And there's no inflation protection in this calculation. Yeah, either. Good point. It's a good point. So, all right. Great question. Thank you so much. So it's the Don McDonald, it depends answer, right? Thank you. That is my life. That is, that is my answer That's for everything in life. You know, anybody asks me anything, I, go, I don't know. It depends. It depends. It depends. Uh, this from Michael in West Springfield, uh, Massachusetts. He says, uh, hi, Tom and Don. My question is, do I really need a bank? I have a Fidelity cash management account where I can write checks or write checks, deposit checks. I get 2.69, 2.7% interest on the checking account, 4.99 on the money market fund, 67 retired, no mortgage, don't need to borrow money. Just your thoughts on not having a bank, just dealing with a brokerage. I also have my bills paid automatically and I have direct deposit for my social security and small pension. Your thoughts. Thank you. <laughs> I got to tell you, uh, this is something I've actually been looking into recently. Uh, is just going with a brokerage account for my banking because I can earn some money on the checking account kind of money. I get all the basic services that I get with the bank, um, and I've really thought about it. And you know what's holding me back? The thought of taking all of my auto payments and all of that stuff and trying to make sure I have it all programmed in on the right dates with the right people because doing all of that stuff took me a long time. And, so and now it's just it. automatic. Oh, you mean, so your money's at Ed Jones. It'd be a lot of trouble to move it to Schwab. So nah, I'm not going to do it. All right. I should do it. You're right. I'm just saying. I should. That's something because, I hear you know, from time to time. I, like, I, oh, man. I, I love Bank of America's technology, but overall, I don't like Bank of America. Yeah. And you can get your direct deposits to the brokerage account. You have access yep. to making more on the cash easily instead of well, having to Well, and my brokerage around. account's at Schwab, so that's even easier. Yeah. I think, I think Michael, absolutely. I think that makes sense. Um, All right. I would make sure others in your life know where the money is and how to access it. But sure. Or don't, no, don't tell them. Oh, don't just tell them. <laughs> yeah. Shh. Okay. Put it in it. writing for later, but don't tell them. You don't <laughs> want them thinking you've got money. It's locked in the safe and no yeah. one can open it don't until my tell demise. Them you have anything they're going to think. Although I heard a great joke. Oh, this is so great. Um, I think it was Ricky Gervais in his Netflix thing where he said, uh, he said, he said, I've got so many family members. Every time I go to a family event, there's like this new kid and I go, hi, who are you? He goes, but I've got this great idea. I've got all these nieces and nephews and cousins and all these. So I take them aside at a family gathering and I go, don't tell anybody. You can't share this with anybody else. Yeah. Don't, don't share this. But I've, when I die, I'm going to give all of my, I'm going to leave all of my vast wealth to you. You're the wow. only person. And he says that to everyone. 
Well, this is the, because the then they treat me really, really well. You own 60, you own 70, you own all. Okay, no, he it. gives it all to everybody. 100%. 100% to everybody. He goes, because I'm not going to care when I'm whatever. dead if they're mad at, at me. me. Yeah, whatever. But, but while I was alive, they treat me really well. I love that. I also love this because someone gave this to me. I think you know this. Someone gave me a new book. Of a thousand one-liners. Oh no 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 no! I'm sorry, folks. We've got to run. Uh, Oh look at the oh look at the time. Oh no, we've got to run. Uh, I'm so sorry. Tom's mic is not working. Feel free to call me, and I'll tell you the jokes. All these jokes are no. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Actually, this one's kind of funny. I Do like you want to one. embarrass yourself? Yeah, you go right ahead. Is that something new? I mean, come on, really? I told it. I told it <laughs> at the all staff so meeting, bad. and no one. This is serious. Uh, no one moved. They sat there and looked at me like, "What?" Uh-huh. Okay, so I'm hoping our podcast audience uh-uh. is no. a little more oh, on oh, top fine. of things. Uh, now Are I see you what you think of our audience. <laughs> no, I think they're going to well, be better. Yeah. They're going to giggle a little bit at least. No, they're not. At least. No, not a giggle. Okay. <laughs> With All the right. setup, maybe. Okay. Um, let's see. I got to make sure. Do you know the world's most popular wine? Oh, I'm sure it's W-H-I-N-E, but go ahead. Thank you. Yes. It's, I hate Brussels sprouts. I love that. I think that's funny because I hate Brussels sprouts too. So there you go. Feel better? No. I no, guess that didn't work. That, no. Please no. feel free to go to www. Talk Why would we even choose Brussels sprouts? Okay, I mean, well, you pick the thing you don't like. What don't you? No, like? no, no. I, I, I could think of better wines. <laughs> like, I like this one. Oh, yeah, okay. Can't that you think of a better good. joke? I'm sorry, that's the best I got. He whined, and that's the only good joke out of the thousand. I think too. By the way, they are bad jokes in that. No, 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 no. Really bad. No, we're no, we're we're, we're, we're zero for a thousand. Oh, okay, so this isn't one good joke. Well, I'm There's using n- the one, so whatever. I, I haven't heard any. Did no, really? Did you? Okay, did you tell your grandchildren in- that? No, no, did you try it on your grandkids? They're five and six. They, okay, that's a joke laugh. they should get. And they, if they don't laugh, then we know it's it's a terrible. They, terrible they'll laugh because they love me. They'll laugh whatever I say. They think I'm funny. So <laughs> because they think you're going to leave them all your money. I'm going to start telling people that. I think that's absolutely spot on. That is funny, actually. Hi. All right, we got to go. Uh, if you want some help with money, you know, you, you need just a little nudge towards a better plan. Quit whining and get the help, would you please? <laughs> Stop it. I don't want mm-hmm. to. It's do easy. Anything. Just go to talkingrealmoney.com and click on meet an advisor, and one of our advisors will help you without any whining about becoming a client. Exactly. But Thank if you. you don't become a client, Tom will get mad at me. Yeah, because there's no whining and dining either. We just take care of you. We don't buy right. you no free lunch. That. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. All right. Thanks for being there. We appreciate you. We truly do appreciate you. And we hope you'll join us pretty much every day and tell all your friends and neighbors. Keep us above 50 on the Apple podcast investing list. Please. More people. We want more people. I'm Don. Tom's over there. And we just love talking real money. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast were current on the date recorded. Opinions, estimates, forecasts, and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice, including any forward-looking estimates or statements which are based on certain expectations and assumptions. Although information and opinions given have been obtained from or based on sources believed to be reliable, no warranty or representation is made as to their correctness, completeness, or accuracy. 
Information presented on the podcast is not personalized investment advice from Appella Wealth. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for everyone. This podcast does not identify all the risks, direct or indirect, or other considerations which might be material to you when entering any financial transaction. Past performance does not guarantee future results, and profitable results cannot be guaranteed. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. The podcast is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Wealth, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Please see Appella Wealth's ADV Part 2A on our website for information regarding Appella's fees and services. Appella Capital, LLC, DBA Appella Wealth, is an investment advisory firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The firm only transacts business in the states where it is properly registered or excluded or exempt from registration requirements. Registration with the SEC or any state securities authority does not imply a certain level of skill or training. Appella does not provide tax or legal advice, and nothing either stated or implied here should be inferred as providing such advice. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and important disclosure related to performance of any specific index or fund quoted in this podcast. Is anybody still listening?